1 Peter chapter 4, and we'll be reading the entirety of the chapter. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough enough of our past uh, our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, uh, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard in regards to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will, give an, uh, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according, according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling, as each one has received gifts and ministry, uh, minister it to one another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as, as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials which, uh, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happening, happens, happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the, uh, for the name of Christ, blessed, uh, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let, no one, uh, let none of you suffer uh, as murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in, in this manner. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will it be? What will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Our brother Humphreys. Well, thank you. I'm back at Boulevard Bible Chapel. Is the mic on? All here? That's great. <clears throat> You'd never think a little guy like me would need to raise the lecture, would you? <laughs> this is a first. <laughs> All right. What a joy to be back. I... I one of our favorite places. <clears throat> and I appreciate the prayer. Many of you have prayed for me over the last two years. You know uh, the difficulties with living sickness and the Lord's home call. And I do have a new beginning. You've noticed I have Jane with me. We uh, 
just got married. This is a kind of extended honeymoon. Uh, I got to tell you, uh, uh, we were married in December and spent a week down here. You can imagine how cold it was to have a honeymoon up north. And we were paddling on the last night of our little trip in the beach at Dalray, on the beach at Dalray Beach. And um, Jane suddenly said to me, the Lord has spoken to me. Because Jane is a veteran Christian, loved the Lord, led many people to the Lord, but uh, she hadn't been baptized for long story reasons and uh, we were in the ocean paddling and she said the Lord spoke to me I said what did he say? she said I want to be baptized in the ocean I said I'm going to call Malcolm Scout and we'll do it when we come back and next week uh, on the beach in Hollywood uh, Jane will be baptized and that's a real joy you know that was the last night of our little honeymoon and next Sunday is the last night of my stay in Florida so I thought, what a grand climax uh, to see Jane obeying the Lord. and Just a wonderful thing. I'm glad some other folks have been baptized. You know, if you're not baptized, think about it. Jane had loved company. And this is a step of faith. She can't swim. She's afraid of water. And in fact, I said, well, if I baptize you, you'll be buried with Christ, but not raised with Christ. <laughs> so I'm glad you got some good, strong brethren here. But we're looking forward to that. Uh, to next Sunday afternoon, I wish her family could be here. Her daughter's a wonderful Christian. I've been praying for this to happen, but with six kids. I inherited a lot of extra grandchildren. A <laughs> uh, daughter can't be here, but we'll be filming that. And we really thank you guys for your support and prayer. What a blessing. Now, i, I got to preach here this morning. Uh, what I'm going to do, uh, I've not got my computer. I've got to get used to this. I've got to bring um, three passages, because there won't be a meeting next Sunday night, uh, on the beach, baptizing. What a great night that will be. So today, two messages, and next Sunday morning, and I'm going to take three passages, which start with a very important word, the three dots, therefore. We're going to look at 1 Peter 4 this morning, Romans 12 tonight, and Hebrews 12 next week, all passages that start with that important, therefore, the passages that answer this question, we learn a lot of theology, we learn about the Lord Jesus, <coughs> but the question is, so what? <coughs> what, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> what difference is this going to make in our lives? So it's very practical stuff, so what, therefore? And this morning... I want to talk about triumphing in trouble and we'll look at this whole chapter, it's 19 verses, but we're going to look at them and we're just praying that God would speak as we talk about the first therefore, 1 Peter 4. And let's just pray that that will happen. Father, we pray this morning that you'll give us attentive ears, but more importantly, responsive hearts. Maybe we will not only understand your word, but may we obey it for our blessing and for the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray that you'll speak to us. Amen. Very important to know that God speaks through his word, whatever I say, that's the important thing. So here we are, verse 1, Therefore, since Christ has suffered. This, actually, this is the first of three therefores in chapter 4. Chapter 4 is littered with therefores. And Peter's saying, look, you respond to trouble, and if you've never had trouble in your life, you need to talk to me, because we have troubles. He said, you, if you respond to trouble, 
in view of what I've just said, now we didn't read chapter 3, but what he just said in chapter 3 was, verse 18, because Christ suffered and died on our behalf, the just for the unjust. Now that's the basis of the gospel. You know Jesus died for your sins. You know that's the way to, to, to get to know God through Christ. But he's saying, look, because Christ suffered, so what? And he's saying, look, if you face unjust punishment, if you face problems, remember, Christ suffered, and he said, you arm yourself. You arm yourself with the same attitude that Christ had towards trouble, because he suffered. Never forget that. The Lord suffered. So that's the call. And what I'm going to do, because it's a long chapter, we'll unpack chapter 4 by talking about three phases of life. We're going to talk about our past, about our present, and more importantly than anything, about the future. So we're going to talk about learning from the past, about the choices we made and learning from them. We're going to, as we get to the middle of the chapter, talk about looking to the future. And then, of course, we want to remember that we have to live in the present. We're going to learn from our choices in the past. We're going to talk about the need to have a commitment for the future. And of course, we're going to realize the reality of life is we live in conflict. And that's a key theme of the chapter. So we'll get into all that. Let's start the chapter, first opening verses, learning from the past, our choices. You know, I don't want to make it a heavy Bible study this morning, but the Greek word, when it says arm yourself, actually the Greek word that Peter uses is exactly the word used when he talks about a soldier taking weapons. So what he's actually saying in this first verse, he's saying, look, you get armed. It, this is a call to be prepared for trouble like a soldier on duty. When your troops were in Afghanistan, some Canadians there, they, they were ready for big trouble. They were armed. That's what soldiers do. <clears throat> and Peter's using that word and he means, look, you, if you're a believing Christian, if you're a born-again believer, you have to live in a specially disciplined way like a soldier, <laughs> Jane's background was in the Salvation Army, and she's reminded me a few times about the need to be soldiers of the cross. That's, and, and, and that's exactly what Pete, he said. You've got to remember, and that's why Peter said, arm yourself, that, that the reality of the Christian life is that it's spiritual warfare. That's what he's talking about. The Christian life requires you to be armed for spiritual warfare. And, and Peter elaborates that. He said, look, the reaction of people, the ordinary secular world, the guys you meet next week, to your lifestyle choices, he spells it out in verse 4. He said, they'll think it's strange that you don't plunge with them into the same reckless and wild living, and they'll heap abuse on you. If you're a faithful Christian, you've probably known that, 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 that some of your friends and cousins, you're out of strange, you won't do this stuff. And sometimes they respond with respect, but you know what Peter's talking about. Of course, that's not surprising. Remember the Lord Jesus, Isaiah 53, he was despised. He was rejected of men. I mean, you're following the Lord who himself knew that. So that's the backdrop. It's like spiritual warfare. The Word of God is the truth, but we are engaged in a culture where there's all kinds of lies. And Scripture gives these loaded pictures of that. But, but it is just a reminder that we have to live in a special way. 
We are called, if you're a believer, you're called to live in a way that makes you different. You can't live like everybody else. In fact, you should be identifiable, singled out from the crowd. I mean, if you saw a soldier in the street, you'd notice. More commonly, you'd see a policeman. And Peter's saying, you've got to be like that. You know, I come from England. We're taking Jane on her first trip to London this summer, where the policeman... This guy's falling asleep on the job, but the policeman alone like that. And you would notice that guy. If I came in dressed like that, you'd say, what are you coming in your police uniform? Because they wouldn't have me, I'm too short. But you know what I'm saying. You're distinctive, right? Um, I've got to tell you a story that, that came from Britain. I love this story about a young police, police officer. He was taking his final exam at the Hendon Police College in North London, where I used to live, as you can tell from my accent, I've got to read you the exam question. It's a really long question, so you've got to be ready for this. Imagine you're taking a police final exam. And it said you're on patrol in outer London when an explosion occurs in a gas main in a nearby street. On investigation, you find that a large hole has been blown in the sidewalk and there's an overturned van lying nearby. Inside the van, there's a strong smell of alcohol. Both occupants, a man and a woman, are injured and you recognize the woman as the wife of your divisional inspector who is at present away in the United States. A passing motorist stops to offer you assistance and you realize he's a man wanted for armed robbery. Suddenly, a man runs out of a nearby house shouting, My wife's expecting a baby and the shock of the explosion has made the birth imminent. Another man's crying for help. He's been blown into an adjacent river by the explosion and he can't swim. Bearing in mind the provisions of the Mental Health Act, described in a few words what actions you would take. There's a question. This officer thought for a few minutes and he picked up his pen and this is what he wants. He said, I'd take off my uniform and mingle with the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> now you've got to sympathize with his answer right I want to tell you if you're a Christian we live in a very complicated world you live in an alien where you have a lot of treasures and it is often very much easier to take off your Christian uniform and mingle with the crowd and you could be like everybody else what Peter's saying is, look, this is a war that's going on. You've got to remain distinctive. You've got to retain your Christian identity wherever you are and however difficult the circumstances. There's no dropping your uniform. You're identified with Christ. And that, that's a tough call. In many situations, it's a tough call. I know what I should tell you, this story in, in the United States, because I, I was once, a, a, I was a professor of chemistry in a former life, and I was with a delegate of, of, uh, of guys going to a big conference in a fancy hotel in Mexico City. And they were all, all uh, Americans, you know. We little Canadians have to mix with a room crowd when we're traveling. And here I was, but I had my big Canadian flag on, you see. I wear my maple leaf flag as a Canadian. And I was checking in with all these guys. And, 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 and the guy in the checking just came round to me and he whispered in my ear. He said, oh, you're a Canadian. I said, yes. He said, you know, you're like us Mexicans. He said, 
We, we're both like mice who sleep on either side of a large elephant. <laughs> and I, I can't tell that story in the States, but that's what he said. Oh, why would I say that? Now, these were all nice Americans, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but the thing is, he picked me out in that crowded lobby as a Canadian, because I was bearing the flag. Uh, I don't know how he expected me to behave, but I felt quite a responsibility to live up to my citizenship and badge. And I said, yeah, I'm a Canadian. He actually gave me a better room than the other guy. So <laughs> it worked out all right. But you see, I only tell you that because we have this badge of Christ. We have the uniform to wear. And it's our privilege and our responsibility as Christians, citizens of another kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, for people to be able to spot us and say, ah, you're a Christian. Now, how they react depends on the circumstances. And in a sense, if he said we lived on either side of a giant, and of course you have a lot more Americans in the world than Canadians. We are a small nation. But, you know, we live beside a giant that's a totally antagonistic and secular culture. Now, the believers in Peter's day, you, don't, you sometimes forget, they say a terrible persecution. They, they, I won't go into the details, there isn't time, but it was very, very tough to be a believer. They lived in circumstances they couldn't control. There was unbelievably harsh persecutions for Christians, the very people Peter's writing to, and sometimes we forget that, and they couldn't control that, and it does remind me, of course, that you can't always choose or control your circumstances. But, this is what Peter says, he says, when it, when it comes to things like your lifestyle, how you live, what your attitude is to things, how you respond to difficulties, ah, oh, you do have a choice. You can't choose your circumstances, but you can choose your response. You see, and, and in, uh, as a Christian, in making your choices in life, you have a huge opportunity, of course, to witness the Lord, but what I want to say particularly, to learn from past experience. I made a lot of mistakes in my life. I'm sure many of you have. You've got to learn from those. And that's why Peter said, look what he says in verse 2. He says, he said, you don't have to live the rest of your life for evil human desires but for the will of God. And then he says in verse 3, he said, you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Isn't that amazing? He said, God, you've spent enough time in that. You don't have to live like that. He said, you can make a choice. And choice is always personal. You see, pe people that choose to live in the way that Peter describes in verse 3, it's an awful description of a sinful life of debauchery in verse 3. Why do they choose that? Well, they often choose it in order to fill an annoying void. If you've got a spiritually empty life, what are you going to do? It should praise God if your life's full with joy in the Lord. You see, and Peter's saying, look, you can choose a better and more fulfilling lifestyle. You can live in what he describes in verse 2 as the will of God. So you can live like verse 3, or you can live in the will of God. And you can do that because, of course, Jesus Christ, if you know him as a Savior, takes away the emptiness and the despair, and he replaces it with joy and hope. That's what we testified about. We said we're full of joy and hope and because we've made a choice for something better. And in your witness, always stress 
the joy and hope you have in Christ. And I hope verse 3 will challenge you this morning. Peter says, you have spent enough time doing what pagans choose to do. You see, it's so important in life that, that we like Peter. You think about Peter. You learn from past experiences on the front of your bulletin. There's a story of Peter's recovery from Sid Holzberg. And I thought, what a, an appropriate thing, because we need to learn from past mistakes and make regular adjustments in the way we live in the light of our past experience. Peter must have thought so often about his denial of the Lord. What a lesson. Uh, and, and what we need to say is what Peter said here, and we need to say often, I've wasted enough time on that. He knew better than anyone because of his denial and restoration that healthy, productive, spiritual living depends on learning from past experience. And Peter would never forget his big mistake. Not that we dwell on them, but we learn from them. You know, I read about an incident in the very early years of the history of IBM, which was once a much more powerful industry than it is today, but one of the executives of, uh, at IBM made a very drastic error of judgment and it cost the company $50,000 and in those days that was a sizable sum. So the IBM president, who was then a guy called Tom Watson, he called this offending executive into his office and, 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 and he, cause he went in the office sure he was going to be fired before the end of the morning. And Watson walked the executive through his mistake in great detail. He asked what led to the error. He asked how it could be avoided. And this unhappy employee finally said, look, 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 this is like slow torture. Why don't you just get it over with and fire me? And Watson said, fire you? I've just spent $50,000 <coughs> educating you. <laughs> he said, We've got to, we learn most from our biggest mistakes. Now, if you make mistakes... The Lord spent, you spent time getting educated. And the choices made by people who live like those described in verse 3, they're made without any realization of the consequences of their dangerous and dead-end lifestyle, but you as a Christian know better. And in fact, I know a lot of people who the idea of living like, like verse 3 has great appeal. They don't see what's wrong with it, because... You know why? They have no proper basis for judging what is right and what is wrong. What's the right choice? What leads to a really satisfactory life? But if you believe the Bible, you have. You've got it. You see, we have an objective moral code. We have a basis for the choices we make. And that's God's revealed will. You know what God wants. Jesus showed us that. I think one, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14 said, The natural man who doesn't know Jesus does not accept the things of the Spirit. But you know better. People who don't recognize an objective moral code that they should always follow, uh, of course, live in a very different way. In fact, uh, interestingly enough, of course, people have said there's no moral basis for decisions react in a very interesting way when they've been wronged. I, read, I saw this cartoon re recently. Little guy says, Grandma Roscoe stole my cookie. Poor Roscoe the dog. Oh, she said, actually, dear, dogs can't really steal. 
to do that, you, you have to possess a moral and legal code, uh, uh, like ours, which they don't. He said, well, you, you watch too. <laughs> he said, you rotten little thief. <laughs> you see how she changed the tone when, when it hit home. We all know that such a thing as that. Uh, we have a moral, we have a reliable way of checking our choices. If you make choices, you can check them out because, well, you've got the word of God. And the people described in verse 3, they're like the guy, I <laughs> came across a guy who wrote a poem to show the problems of spell checking on computers, of course. And, and read this poem he wrote. He said, to write with care is quite a feat of which one should be proud. And we must do the best we can so flaws are not allowed. And now because my spelling is checked with such great flair that there are no faults within my sight of none, I am aware. Now he put that to the spell checker on the computer. Microsoft Office, not a spelling mistake. Not a spelling mistake, but what a crazy basis for judging whether it's right. You see, we have the right basis for judging whether we're making mistakes. All, all that stuff passed the computer spell checker, but you've got a checker. That's what the Word of God is. The guy that wrote that said, I'm convinced there's nothing wrong with this because my Microsoft Word spell checker didn't find a mistake. You're a Christian. You have a reliable way of judging whether you have made mistakes in life. God's Word is a perceptive, infallible checker that shows us when something's wrong. And you've got to go to it to find out. You see, and more than that, what the Word does is not only tells us what's wrong, but it tells us what is right. And you can assess your choices in life in the light of God's will and that's revealing God's Word. And I want to tell you this, the Word is more than a checker of mistakes. It's a corrector of mistakes. Come across little verses in your readings, and the other morning I came across Psalm, hidden away in Psalm 119 with this, I'm a stranger on the earth, and that's what Peter talks about in his epistle, being aliens and strangers. He said, don't hide your commands from me. And God hasn't done. He's made it clear and we need to understand that the, the, that the choice to live differently is yours to make, but it has consequences. But what Peter is saying, the consequences are not just for life now, but they're for eternity. Look what verse 5 says. Verse 5 says, But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge both the living and the dead. That's the consequence eternal. I might just mention, it's a difficult verse in verse 6. I was going to skip it over, but you guys are diligent Bible studies. That phrase in verse 6, those who are dead, funny little verse in many ways, but it refers to Christian believers who've died. The gospel has been preached to them, they become Christians, and as a result of uh, that, they've been judged according to men while they were on earth. This judgment was in the form of uh, persecution because of their Christian testimony. Those Christians died. Many of them were martyrs. And of course, in their eternal state, they're serving the Lord in the future life. 
So it's not that difficult a verse, uh, but I won't spend a lot of time on it now. But I do want to just pause on verses 5 and 6, because they bring us into the second great emphasis in this chapter. Yes, we have to learn from the past, but we have to look to the future. You see, because learning from the past helps us to determine our lifestyle choices, but looking to the future, ah, that helps us evaluate our life's commitment. You see, <clears throat> look, you can never know what direction to move on in life uh, if you don't project into the future. You have to think, what my, you know, when I was alone without living, two years lonely there, I had to think what my future was. And a guy who can't cook and and talks to the fridge for company. And I predicted the future and prayed, and Jane came into my life, and the future, it's a new beginning, you see. And we look, we, and, 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 and that's so important in life. And, and here we go, oh, and there's another therefore in verse 7. But look, before another therefore in verse 7, Peter suddenly says, talking about the future, he said, the end of all things is near. Now, I have to do a little bit of Bible study again. That, that, that the Greek term he uses for end, that, that he uses there, it doesn't mean everything's finished, sees nothing. That the, the term he used means consummation. It means fulfillment. It means realization, not termination, not cessation. So Peter's saying, look, you, re, you evaluate your commitment to do things, the things that follow that, therefore, keeping in mind that, that, that there'll be a consummation, that life comes to a fulfillment. Keep the fulfillment of things in mind. And it's very practical. In these verses, he gives us four things to do while you're waiting for the Lord uh, to con uh, bring things to a conclusion. Or your life to end. What are you going to do? in a Christian life. Well, it's very, very practical. This is two devotional things. Verse 7, pray thoughtfully. Verse uh, 8, love deeply. That's two important things. You pray, not just pray, but pray thoughtfully. Not just love, but love deeply. They're devotional things, but it's two practical things. He said, you entertain gladly. Jane tells me already, someone said, do you want to come to my house? He said, no, I want to go home. But there's an open spirit here. This is what Peter's asking for. Very practical, and you serve effectively. Now tonight I'm going to talk about how to serve effectively from Romans 12, so I won't need to dwell on that. <coughs> I was told he preached till quarter past Malcolm, so we're just warming up here, but, but I'll talk about serving effectively tonight. But we got to, uh, well, let's just review those verses. Verse 7, be clear-minded and self-controlled so you can pray. You can't pray if you don't control yourself and think clearly, Peter said. And, and, and above all, number one, this is absolute priority, love deeply. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Absolute priority. And it's very practical stuff. Hey, Entertain gladly. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. I'm the kind of guy when Vivian used to say we're having a bunch of students ago, oh man, I've gone busy. <laughs> Offer without grumbling. Very important, practical stuff this. And serve effectively. Well, that will be tonight. But look at that. Use the gifts you've received to serve others. How? Well, if a caterer can't come tonight, this is how you do it. In God's strength, using God's word. Very simple. 
Do it in God's strength. Use God's word. That's what Peter said. So how does your commitment show itself? Well, it shows itself in a very simple way. It's nothing complicated. Love and service. Love and service. Verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers a multitude of sins. One of the great things about Boulevard, it sends the love you have for each other. This is, this is the practical stuff. But you don't just serve with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised. Notice that. Easy to serve God from the wrong motive. You can preach thinking, mine, I think I was good today, or I get the reward, all kinds of It's so that God will be praised. Always bear that in mind. You see, and so this verse is to motivate you to really reassess your commitment to doing these things. Looking to the future, when God's great plans will be consummated, and he calls you to account. The Bible is very clear about accountability. Peter talks about it. He says there will be a consummation of all things. I've got to tell you, what he's referring to here is the fact that the return of, with the return of Christ, God's purposes for all humanity will be realized. Now, he says, an interesting phrase, he said it's near at hand. The consummation brought about by the return of Christ is near at hand. What he reminds us of, it could happen any moment. <clears throat> now, of course you say, well, 2,000 years have passed. But you see, Christians are called to live with an attitude of anticipation, expectancy with respect to Christ's return. There's nothing that needs to be fulfilled before Christ returns. And a true expectation of Christ's return is a great motivator. It would cause you to constantly review your commitment to serve the Lord in the way these verses describe. Now people make mistakes of this. Do you remember two or three years ago these billboards were all over in the US. Judgment Day is coming May the 21st, 2011. God hasn't chosen to tell us when Christ will come and he's done that for very good reason. Forget those billboards. If you knew Christ wasn't coming soon you, you could become complacent about your commitment. On the other hand if you knew for sure that Christ was coming almost immediately, then regular productive life would give away to unreasonable behavior and panic. If I could tell you it's next Wednesday for sure, your life wouldn't be the same Monday, Tuesday. But you see, what Peter's saying, no, you've got to expect his possible return soon, and that will eliminate all his extreme reactions. You can live a joyful, productive life in expectancy and constant readiness and that's what he's saying and he's called us to remember that at that moment you'll be accountable for your lifestyle because when Jesus Christ does come it says in verse 5 he'll come to judge he'll call us to account now I'm a retired professor so I'm all for exams accountability and Jesus said you're accountable well, we can't talk much about it, but the list of things you have to do while you're waiting and looking, it's bracketed by those two important phrases. Verse 7, the end of all things is near. You've got to believe that today. And to him be glory forever and ever. The real motivation. And it's really that latter phrase that reminds us that, 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 that the end of all things is, is really the beginning of God's eternal program. 
because forever and ever God will be glorified. I don't think it ends with your life. That's only the beginning. And so we have this call to take an eternal perspective in making our choices in life. Because our choices in life have got to reflect our commitment to Christ. And it's so important. We're going to talk about it more tonight. How should I serve the Lord? And you've got it there in verse 11 all over again. Serve in His strength. Serve with only one purpose, to bring praise to God through Jesus Christ. And verse 10 is very important. I want you to notice it, because I won't be going into gifts tonight. It's very important. It's about finding and using your gift. God has given you a gift. And Peter says, use whatever gift you've received as a faithful steward of God's grace in its various forms. Now, we're not going into a lot of uh, talking about gifts this morning, but you have a gift. You're called to use it. And it, it sometimes takes effort to discover it. You know, I, I don't know if you've seen that commercial of a little guy trying to hit the baseball and he keeps missing it. It's a, it's a commercial based on, on, on what was apparently a true story of a little boy that was overheard talking to himself when he was in his backyard with a baseball cap and a ball and bat. And, and what he was saying, I am the greatest hitter in the world. And so he'd toss the ball in the air and he'd swing, strike one, and he'd miss it. Undaunted, he picked up his bat, he threw it in the air and said, I'm the greatest baseball hitter ever. And he swung his bat and again he missed. He said, strike two. He paused, he looked at the bat, he looked at the ball, and then a third time he threw that ball in the air and he said, I'm the greatest hitter that ever lived. And he swung his bat, and he missed it a third time. He said, wow, he said, strike three, what a pitcher. I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. <laughs> now, what I'm saying with that story, we've got to be like this guy. We've got to keep at it, and learn from our past mistakes, until we find out what we're good at, what our gift is. And when we discover it, I know you won't go bragging, I'm the greatest servant of the Lord in the world, but you would do it. And you've got to work at it and find your gift. And learning from your past failure is important, but looking ahead is vital. And the key to enjoying every day of our lives is to live, not always looking back, not terrified of the future, but live in the present. Now there's a lot I could say about that, and I'm not going to say much, but the present if we can move on, my slides aren't changing. Maybe you could <laughs> help me out, but I'm not sure why. Well, okay. Living in a present conflict. For the rest of this chapter, it's talking about the reality of what the New Testament teaches, and that's the certainty of suffering and how we respond to it. And Peter's talking about painful trials, not just any old trouble and it's not surprising. We forget what Jesus said. Jesus said, Remember the word I said, The servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. I'm surprised when Christians are, are, are amazed they get into trouble. Paul reinforced that. He said, Listen, all that live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you never suffer persecution, you have to worry. 
That's what the early church expressed. The early church in Acts 5.41 rejoiced that they'd been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Now, persecutions are reality today. I'm not going through all these statistics, but more Christians are martyred in the 20th century than the last 1900 years. They say there are 26 million documented cases of Christian martyrdom in the last 100 years. I don't want to go through all these stats. So we'll just skip them, and I want to skip that. And just remind you that we live in a troubled world, and say this, that Peter said you can rejoice in persecution and conflict. Why? Because you're blessed. You're blessed because the Spirit of glory and God rests upon you. And you can rejoice for a very good reason. And this isn't just some nondescript blessing. It's real. It's the objective presence of the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to challenge you. If you don't know any difficulty, then you've got to look at your life. And remember what Jesus said. He said, you're blessed when men hate and exclude and insult you. If they do that because of the Son of Man, he said, rejoice in that day. Leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. Jesus said, jump around with joy if you're being persecuted. You say, Why would he say that? Because looking to the future, your reward in heaven. You can't remember this, you know, the world would do to Christ today what it did the first time. If the incarnation of Christ was today, they'd do the same thing as they did before. And if you doubt that, you look around at what's happening to Christians uh, around the world. So Jesus said in John 16, In a world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So that's something to remember. About persecution, opposition, suffering, Peter says, expect it and rejoice in it. But evaluate it. We can suffer for some wrong things. And we'll just leave it there and say this. There's one last therefore. And we'll talk about serving effectively tonight. It's this. Therefore, those who suffer according to God's will. It's not about suffering for doing foolish things. Those that suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do what is right. Commit and continue. Commit and continue. Remember two things about God. Two things about you, you've got to commit, you have to continue. Two things about God. He's faithful. He's faithful. I know, O oh Lord, your judgments are righteous in faithfulness. In faithfulness you've afflicted me. And he's not immune from suffering. If you're struggling right now, you go back to verse 1 again. The cross of Christ is God witness, God's witness to a world full of suffering. Always go back to the cross. And folks, I've got to tell you this. If you've never started there, if any of you say, I don't know what you're talking about, really, it's kind of, I'm not really on side with the faith. You go back to the cross where Christ suffered for your sin. Because if you come to Christ and have a transformed life, your past will be transformed, your future will be assured, 
And I've got to tell you, your present will be wonderful. This has not been a gospel message. I think there could be someone here who's not a Christian. That's the most important thing. Talk to Malcolm or me or one of the others <clears throat> and come to that beginning. And for most of you, almost all of you are Christians. Of course, don't live in the past. Learn from it. Don't be terrified of the coming of the Lord, but be ready for it. And live in the present in conflict and rejoice in it because of these promises. May God help you to do it. No time for him, I guess. Let's just pray. But God bless you, and tonight I'll tell you how to serve the Lord effectively. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to prevent and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and evermore.